Welcome to Season 2 of the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? What up? How we doing? We are back to talk about some more theology. We're going to introduce the idea of pneumatology today. Going to be thank you for calling it the the theolog the theological word. Yeah, pneumatology. Pneumatology. Um, we actually did a pneumatology episode. I don't know. Um, over a year ago now. Yeah, um, it was with my friend Adam Cheney. It's yeah. great. Uh, and I actually really like that episode because we both understand that for Old Testament pneumatology, Ezekiel 37 is like a really important yeah. like text to build pneumatology off of. Mm-hmm. But what we do with it is very different. Yeah. And so that's a fun episode. It yeah, a, you should do it. It is a good episode. You should go, you should go watch that one. Because um, we're not going to talk really about Ezekiel 37 in this one. So. No. Um, but first beer. Yes. But first beer. You want to go ahead? Yes. Um, so full disclosure, I really don't know anything about this brew. I, I tried to look it up. Um, it's not even on the website of the brewery. I think it was a seasonal release and their website's not up to date. Um, this is from Prairie Artisan Ales, which is somewhere in Oklahoma because I, online I saw they have an Oklahoma tap room. Mm-hmm. But um, this is brewed and canned by Krebs Brewing Company in Oklahoma. So I'm not sure what the situation is here with this brewery, um, nor am I sure how something this micro made yeah. it all the way to you know Houston, Texas. But... This is the Seaside Crocodile, is what it's called. And uh, it's a very festive, ugly Christmas sweater kind of vibe. I think it's some kind of holiday sour. Because this is the only thing it says. 6.3% ABV, sour ale with cranberries, ginger, cinnamon, and nutmeg. Yeah, very Christmassy. That's literally all the info I got on the beer. Yep. Um, so I have the Seven Spanish Angels, which, if you know, is a Willie Nelson and Ray Charles song. Um, good song, but dope. Ray Charles, my man. Um, it is a collaboration with Independence Coffee Company. Cold brewed coffee is blended with this ale, resulting in the perfect balance of coffee, pecan, and chocolate flavors. Oh, it is six point five percent ABV. Um. And they use chocolate, brown, and biscuit malts with a light sea hops. Ooh, biscuit malt. Biscuit malts. And then blended with the, the pecan coffee. Um, and it is by Brazos Valley Brewing Company out of Brenham. So, Texas. Um, uh, a suburb of Houston. Not, I mean, not really, but well, about two hours away from Houston. Yeah, it's well, it actually has it right here. Uh, perfectly placed in between Austin College Station and Houston, all about an hour drive. Yeah. <sighs> yep. Um, so, super cool. I am ready to get into this, though. Dope. Cheers. Cheers. I need to put it on the thing first. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. 
Interesting. That's strange. It's a cranberry sour, or what I smell is a cranberry sour with a bunch of baking spices. Mm. I don't think I like this. Yeah, I don't think I like this. Darn. It's... <laughs> Onyx must have rolled in the grass or something. Um, it's very strange. Um, it's pretty one note. I don't get the pecan coffee at mm. all. Okay. Um, I get the coffee, but it tastes like old coffee. Is it real sweet and buttery from the biscuit malt? It's not sweet. Um, I wouldn't even call it buttery. And it's got like this weird bitterness. I'm did assuming it's from the coffee. Hops, did you say what hops is in there? It said a light sea hops. I don't know what sea hops means. Maybe centennial. Like, I don't know. Um, no. I don't know what that is. I've never heard of light sea hops. Um <clears throat> Sea hops are, are hops that grow. They're more like West Coast hops. They got a lot of like uh, salt flavor to them mm. from the the uh, salt in the air off the sea. Yeah, um, yeah, something more like an Atlantic hop. Yeah, to me, it's very one note, and this is just to my palate, right? It could be somebody else's vibe, but it seems very one note to me. I'm kind of watery and thin. Uh, I don't love it. Um. I'm thinking six eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't really love mine either. Uh, it tastes like a cranberry sour, like that. That's what it tastes like. It has hints of baking, yeah. which, uh, for my personal palate, I don't really think work. Yeah. Um, they're faint enough that I still think it's drinkable. Um, but I think I'm more at like five, four. Mm. Um, yeah, like I really don't like it, but wow. because it's a sour, it's a hot day. It's 80 degrees outside. We've got the door open here in beautiful Houston, Texas. Uh, the Christmas of the sour makes it actually an enjoyable drink mm -hmm. and the baking spices are faint enough. They don't bother me that much. However, I don't like their presence there. They yep. don't belong in a sour yeah, yeah, I, I think you. five four, five four. Yeah, for my personal yeah. palate, if if it sound if you're into sours and you like those baking spices, mm -hmm. and maybe to our new friends in Dallas, yeah. maybe you can get up to Oklahoma or it's closer to you, and maybe you can give it a shot. But it, for my personal palate, I don't think those baking flavors work. Yeah, this so in going back through and logging all of our beers that we've done, this is the first time. So that's the lowest score we've ever given a beer. Is a five eight. Uh, I feel, but I also think I was way too generous in some of my early scorings. Yeah, because I've had some beers that I didn't finish. Mm -hmm. I've had to go back and change my rating on, and I did it off camera. Um, because a lot of these beers we get, they're specialty beers, they're pints. You know, you get them, you get started. It's new, it's exciting. By the end of it, and you know, lots of times if I'm doing a lot of talking, the beer will mm -hmm. sit there, and I don't really get to enjoy, like enjoy and really explore the beer till we're done. Yeah, and we're doing it off camera, and sometimes I don't even finish them. Yeah. Like, especially if I get like a really sweet stout or porter, I'm like, yeah, rare that I finish them. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I think we were way too generous 
um, yeah. in the early days um, because our average score is 7.6. Yeah, that's way too high. It is way seven, too high. Seven, six is a really good score for me. Yeah. Like, if I'm giving beer seven, six, like, I think, I think just an average beer is like a six. Like, I think Shiner Bach should be like a six, eight. I think, like, yeah. I think a really good quality beer should be like six, eight. Yeah, I, I'm, I am of the mind that the average beer should be around seven. So like um, a six eight. Yeah, should be somewhere around seven. Um, but because and you gave that what a six eight? I gave that a six eight. But the reason I gave that a six eight is because I was w- working off of our current average score. Got it. Which is seven six. Yeah. So trying to offset and yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna start ranking them the way I think they should be ranked in light of the new revelation we've just had. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Continue. Pneumatology. Yeah. Pneumatology. Um, if you didn't know, pneumatology is the conversation of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma spelled with a P. Pneuma, but don't say the P. Um, pneumatology. Pneumatology. Pneumatology from Logos, the study of or communication of uh, pneuma. Spirit. Spirit. We are going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, now, if you've been in America, at least in American Christianity, or if you are um, international, chances are you're going to be very familiar with something called the charismatic traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, Correction. Well, I don't know. My experience, I went overseas. What I will say is they were very charismatic, the church that I attended. They were very charismatic. That's right. Yeah, you did say that. And um, Or, yeah, you told me that before. Yeah, yeah, they were extremely charismatic. And when I just made that comment one day, I was like, yeah, y'all are just more charismatic than I'm used to. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's fine. I'm just not used to it. And he was like, the pastor looked at me and said, you think we're charismatic? I was like, oh, yeah, de- buddy, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Y'all are definitely charismatic. Um, he did not think so. He did not feel comfortable calling himself a charismatic. You know why? Because he's been around real charismatics. <laughs> yeah. Um, y'all, what I, heard from, what I heard from y'all is y'all are like, that church was like vineyard charismatic. Like yeah, charismatic probably. with their seatbelt on. Uh, uh, charismatic light. Um, real charismatic people are the people that are, are so charismatic, it makes yeah. some people uncomfortable charismatic. Yeah. Um, that's what most people think of when they think of the Holy Spirit. They think of Acts 2, yeah. speaking in tongues, they think of all this. And if you really know your Christian history, you think of the Azusa Street Revival. Mm. Um, Azusa Street happens in 1905, in the uh, early 1900. I think it's 1905. Yeah, 1905. Um, the Azusa Street Revivals are the birthplace of modern-day Pentecostalism yeah. uh, and charismatic traditions and the idea of the Holy Spirit uh, and the way in which we talk about it now. But every Christian tradition believes in some idea of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, so Randy and Ben begin... This conversation, um, <clears throat> telling the story of William Seymour. He's a pastor that kind of starts the Azusa Street Revival. Um, 
And I actually think Ben is writing this chapter because he calls himself out. Yeah, when I, BCB, was in seminary. So Ben wrote this chapter. Ben is a... Ben is... I think Ben would call himself a charismatic. Uh, he goes to the vineyard denomination, like he goes to the vineyard church. Um, one of the most spirit-first people as a Christian, and a like a Christian and... and um, theologian and uh, Christian thinker, one of the most spirit-first persons I've ever met Wow, is Ben Blackwell. Um, my pneumatology is so shaped by him in ways that I can't even begin to tell you all the places that his fingerprints have impacted my own pneumatology. Yeah. It's everywhere. Um, and so he begins... They talking about the spirit in the Bible, and this is important. They they are not going to spend much time here, but we're going to spend time here. There are two words for spirit in the Bible: a Hebrew word, ruach, ruach, and a Greek word, pneuma. Both are neuter words. Mm-hmm. So. If you're listening to this podcast in English, you obviously speak English. English, we do not, words do not have gender yeah. in English. Everything is neuter unless it's masculine or feminine. Right. Because we do not have a case system. Yeah. Or our verbs don't conjugate, those kinds of things. Greek and Hebrew both do. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that these words are neuter matters. Yeah. They do not have gender. Mm-hmm. It's also important to note that in these languages, they do not have different words for everything like we do. Sure. So, for example, in Greek or Hebrew, the word ruach or pneuma can mean spirit, wind, holy breath. spirit, wind, breath. Um, human spirit, divine spirit, it, it really, the word knows no real bounds mm. to what it does not talk about. Um, and so what Ben in, or what Ben ends up saying is that, um, he says, there are many ways to describe the Spirit's work in the Bible. And one scholar has given this phrase to summarize them all. God's empowering presence. Mm. If you didn't know, um, one, of the greatest, um, one of the greatest pneumatological thinkers um, in the modern era of theology um, is Gordon Fee. And Ben actually quotes from his book, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. Um, but Gordon Fee has a book, God's Empowering Presence, which is on that shelf somewhere over there. It's not worth looking for right now. But uh, actually, it's a theology book. It's probably on the bottom. Uh, don't worry about it, Clayton. Um, Gordon Fee's book, God's Empowering Presence, is his work through following the work of the Holy Spirit through the letters of Paul. Mm -hmm. And he named the book 
God's empowering presence. Yeah. That's really what Ruach and Numa mean. It's that God's spirit is empowering and present in all of existence in ways that we call things like wind or breath or spirit or things we breathe, that, that God is connected and empowering anything and everything by their presence. Mm. That book combined with Jürgen Moltmann is what made me a panentheist. Mm. Interesting. It, it was my pneumatology that forced me there. Interesting. Okay. So that's God's empowering presence. You, I have not actually heard, I'm sorry, to we were moving on from that, but I've heard a lot of study and teaching on the words Numa and Ruach, and I've never heard that before. What? God's empowering presence, like mm. summarizing it that way. I have never heard that before. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to talk about it, honestly. Yeah, I love that. Yep. So... Let's briefly have this conversation because they do have a blurb about this in the book and I think it's a meaningful conversation. I'm actually going to direct it in a, down a path. They don't take it. Um, I mentioned that they don't have gender, that they're neuter. Yeah. I personally think that's important. <clears throat> um, it's important to me that the empowering presence of God knows no gender. Right. Um, I agree. It's important to me that the intimate personal element of di the of divine of the divinity knows no gender. Yeah. Um because it means two things. Number one, there's no dominant gender. Yeah. in that personal relationship. So if you got male trauma, it can be a woman. If you got female trauma, it can be a man yep. um, that, that comprises your metaphor. Because I do want you to think of Holy Spirit as person of Trinity. Yeah. I do want you to think of a person. Sure. But I think that it's important that it's neuter. Yeah. Because you have the freedom to make that person what you need them yeah. to be. And it can depend on the situation. Depending on how you interpret, oh, yeah, what very the much so. Is. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Um, they end up concluding. This is their final sentence in the blurb. Since the spirit is a person, we use the pronoun he rather than it to refer to him. I'm not going to default to masculine pronouns just because that's the default. Yeah. Um, I'm not great at it yet. I am when I write it. I usually put S slash H E mm. when referencing God because I'm I'm actually including both of them by yeah. doing it that way. I do have to give female dominance, which does not bother me one bit. Um, but <coughs> excuse me, when I'm speaking, I'm trying to train myself to use third person plural pronouns. Yeah, them. Um, so that's how I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. That's how I'm going to try to talk about divinity in general is through third-person plural pronouns, them. Um, I'm just, yeah. That's my note about that. Old Testament. Okay. Old Testament and pneumatology. Uh, in an attempt 
to speed this process up, go listen to the pneumatology episode I did with my buddy Adam Cheney. Because yep. um, that'll help this. But uh, what they say is the term Ruach implies movement and action. And the people of God often know the Spirit best through His work as, excuse me, as God's empowering presence. Why is God's presence empowering? Wait, ask that again. Why is why is it God's empowering presence? Why is God's presence empowering? Because it brings life. Because it brings what? Life. Give me another. Give me another uh, synonym for life, um, or another thing that God's presence brings. It brings peace. Okay. Uh, I mean, it naturally because God is powerful, His presence comes with power. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of power? Healing power, restorative power. Liberating, liberating power. power. Yeah, Clayton. When when someone is liberated mm-hmm. from captivity, mm-hmm. what do they do? Literally, when someone is freed from captivity, mm-hmm. when they step outside the confines of that building, mm-hmm. what do they do? They live their life. I mean, they, I don't. I don't. Yeah, they move. Oh, There's yeah. progress. Yeah, liberation is empowerment. Oh yeah, it is Agreed. movement. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. If you are thinking about the Holy Spirit as just your elf on a shelf, or you know your security blanket at home, uh, your old stuffed animal you pull out when you're scared, you've missed the point. Yeah. It's God's empowering presence. It's liberating. It's moving. It's asking for further liberation. It's asking you to do something yeah. with the empowering presence. It is empowering you to move. Yeah. To live, to be different. To bring about liberation. Yeah. And that's the point that they end up with in the Old Testament and carry over into the New Testament is that the Spirit is the... The word that I'm looking for evades me in um, my impassioned speaking in this moment. Um, the Spirit is totally encompassed by what the New Testament will come to know and call the kingdom of God. Yeah. Once again, for time's sake, I'm going to ask you to go back to the seven-episode series I did. It was the second or third series we did on this podcast with Ben Blackwell, the author of this book, seven episodes on the kingdom of God. Um, He does a lot of Bible stuff. He does a lot of stuff with the Holy Spirit. He does a lot of Jesus stuff. Um, I do some modern theology and social gospel stuff. Uh, It's a fantastic series, if I do say so myself. It's great. So go check that out. The kingdom of God is the categorical catch-all for the ways in which the message of Jesus is reaching the people. Mm -hmm. That is the kingdom of God. Jesus announces himself on scene. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's Mark's gospel. Um, 
Yeah. The kingdom of God. What Ben says is where the spirit is, there is the kingdom. Yeah. Um, so now go back to the conversation we were having earlier about Ruach and Numa. Where is the spirit? Everywhere. Inside of us, with us, connected to us. With every person? Yeah, I would I would say so. Okay. So you would say every person, Christian, non-Christian, houses the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do Christians have more housing of the Holy Spirit than non-Christians? I would say... More, <laughs> this is going to sound weird. This is just the way that my brain makes it make sense. Mm-hmm. I would say that they're theirs is just activated in a way. Oh, so um, you think the Holy Spirit just sits like dormant? It. Maybe not sits dormant, but like you you have tapped into the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's like charcoal versus activated charcoal. Yeah. It's like you you've unlocked the secret knowledge. Yeah, yeah. It's just like not, that's not pretty <laughs> No, not <laughs> screw you. Screw you. You know that's not what I'm trying to say. I think about it as like a deification type deal. Like yeah. you have tapped into the Holy Spirit that is living within you. Yeah. So the way that I communicate it is I just think it's a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I think everybody has the Holy yeah. Spirit, Christian, non-Christian. I think it's just the more you grow in your in your divine likeness, the more you manifest that spirit. See, that's what I was trying to say. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah. Sorry to set you up and bust you. Screw you. That up. was so fun. Screw you, man. That was so fun. Um, <laughs> oh, God. And you, you walked me right up to it, too. I did. You walked me right up to it. And you, and you threw yourself right off the ledge. I really did. <laughs> I really Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, so there's an important note about the Holy Spirit here. Um, in John's gospel, Jesus has this whole deal about the Spirit. And there's a lot of, like, really deep Trinitarian theology um, in John's gospel, which is also why I think it's pretty late. I don't. I don't really think it. Like, if you're saying John's gospel is written before like a hundred, I'm. I'm really not sure. There's a lot of theological development that's happened in John's gospel that feels very different than what's happening in the other three. Sure. But in John's gospel, in chapters fourteen through sixteen, talking about the Holy Spirit, the the Greek word Paraclete mm-hmm. is used. Helper, right? Servant type. Helper or advocate is another uh, yeah. a good word, um, a good gloss. Um, I think too many people have a view of God almost as if God is in opposition to them. Mm. Almost as if God sits up there demanding that you conform in order to be loved. Yeah. That's not the message of John's gospel. You know, I actually had somebody tell me that one time, like legitimately tell me. That oh, you know, I actually believed that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that God is up there as judge and Jesus is lawyer. Um, when actually the Holy Spirit would take that role, but also... Well, technically, I mean, Jesus calls him, or Paul calls Jesus the mediator, right. the intermediary. Yeah. So, yeah, no, he's, yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to go with that courtroom metaphor, no. Well, but Jesus is also called the judge. Right. 
this is a problem. Every metaphor breaks down. They are contextual. Yeah. yeah. Stop making universal metaphors. Yeah. Or stop making contextual metaphors universal. They're yeah. not. They can communicate a truth and it be truth in that moment. Yeah. And it not be universal truth, and yet mm. it's still truth. But either way, I don't think that we should be talking about it that way anyways. Well, that is my point is, let me say, those metaphors and teachings mm. do exist in the Bible. Sure. We can't just ignore no, no, them. No, no, agreed, but agreed. But they're not the only metaphor in the right. Bible. And paraclete is a damn good metaphor for the way in which God has said, hey, I will care for you. Yeah. I'm going to give you a mediator. Yeah. In Jesus, if you're going like according to some kind of ransom atonement theory, which not here for, don't do that. However, that view is present in the Bible. It is a view. It's not the only view. Jesus is this kind of mediator. And oh, by the way, he's going to give you his spirit. Yep. Which John's gospel says is our helper. That's right. God's not up there condemning you. Yeah. God is here, present, helping you. The way that I am learning to think about, and this is just how my social work brain likes to work it, but I like to think about the Trinity as like a care team. Oh. Like an interdisciplinary care team. And they take different roles and doing the things that they can to help me become the best version of me that I can be. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that. I think that's a very helpful metaphor. Yeah. That can't be your only no, metaphor. No, 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 no. But, but that is a very helpful yeah, metaphor. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, and the spirit in that place takes the role of, um, like, case manager type. Um. Okay, I, you, you meet with me regularly. You see me regularly. We work together often to help you get to where you need to be. Um, That's a dope metaphor. Yeah. I like it. All right. Um, next, they want to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts. Um, you can find spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Romans 12. I think those are the only three places. I could be wrong. Um, there might be some reference. No, I think that's it. I think it's just those three. Um, <clears throat> in here, they have a whole blurb about speaking in tongues. There are two ways this is talked about. They are different. It's unfortunate they use the same word uh, to talk about them. Mm. One is this kind of power that you have um, that through some kind of supernatural act, you, a person who don't know Spanish, can supernaturally know Spanish for a moment to communicate yeah. something. Um, that's one way that this is talked about. The other way is like some kind of angelic language mm -hmm. heavenly language um and that angelic or heavenly language is not understood and needs a divine interpreter or interpretation most commonly used 
in prayer yep. without an interpreter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, there you go. Yeah, that's, 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 that's literally all it is. Yep. It's nothing special. Uh, well, I said, no, it, it's it definitely is special. special. It's definitely special. It is, but it's nothing to be like afraid of or think it's freaky yeah. or weird. Paul uh, calls it one of the higher gifts. He like, does call it in first Corinthians 14. Yeah, it is a, um, it's a big deal. Specifically praying in tongues. Right. Um, he puts it up there with prophecy, like big deal. Mm-hmm. I am miraculous healing. And miraculous healing. You which, are correct. Even bigger deal in my book. Yeah. Like, oh, for golly. Sure. For sure. If I could do miraculous healing, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't and have And the cool that thing gift. about that is if you don't possess these gifts, Paul says you can pray for them. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, now, once again, no guarantee that you're going to get them. Right. But you can pray for the higher gifts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been asking for the gift of tongues for a really long time. And I still have never gotten it. Um, and I've been asking for my prayer language for a really long time. Never gotten it. Never found it. Our grandfather's asked for it basically his whole life and never gotten it. Yeah. And they go to a charismatic church. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Just not meant for some people. I don't I don't understand why. I don't understand. That's divine um, mystery. And that's okay. Yeah, I don't like I don't really like I don't really advertise it. I'm a charismatic. I pray in tongues. I don't have any qualms about yeah. doing that. Um, I do it quite frequently, and I love what Romans eight talks about that it's um, us uttering groanings unto God when we do not know what to speak. It's the Holy Spirit uttering on our behalf when we do not know what to say. Yeah. Uh, because Lord knows, there's lots of times I just really don't know what to say. Yeah. I'm at a loss for words about what to say. Yeah. Um. I know it's hard to believe that I am a person that has moments of being without words, but yeah, I, I have moments where I don't know what to say. And yeah. so, yeah, I don't, I don't like propagate it. I don't, I'm not one of those big like showy people about it, but yeah, I pray in tongues, got no qualms with it. Think everybody should like try and ask for it. Um, this is what they say about spiritual gifts, which I absolutely love as in Jesus's kingdom ministry. The Christian ministry of liberation, yeah. spiritual, physical, and social slash communal, is part of God's work of restoration through the Spirit. Yep. Since this liberation will not be complete until Christ returns again, the Spirit intercedes presently for believers as we wait for the eschatological fulfillment. That's what spiritual gifts are for. Yeah. Spiritual gifts are the thing that we have while we wait. Yeah. The culmination of our liberating story. Um, and that comes in the eschatological renewed creation. Eschatological, eschatology. Um, study of last study things. Of study of end, end things. things. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what it means. Um, eschaton means last things. Um The Jesus story, and specifically Pentecost and the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, is um, the down payment of sorts for Christ's second coming, the culmination of the story of life. Um, 
And that is confirmed in our resurrection theology because our resurrection theology, if done well, should be mirroring 1 Corinthians 15. Sure. Clayton, what's 1 Corinthians 15? All about the resurrection. It's Paul's famous argument for why the flip the resurrection matters. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who is the initiator of the resurrection? The initiator of the resurrection? The spirit is the giver of life, my man. Oh, yeah, fair enough. It is the spirit that brings about restoration. It is the spirit that brings about resurrection. It is the spirit in Ezekiel 37 when... I could preach. Um, the The voice and the vision that comes to Ezekiel says, Speak to the Ruach. Yeah. That these dry bones may live. Yeah. It is the work of the Spirit that brings about resurrection, and it is resurrection and the work of resurrection that is the culmination of restoration. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.